Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. The greatest love story that was ever told that King of heaven and earth got up off of his throne and shed his royal robes and put on skin to dwell among us, to suffer with us. There is none like him, there is none before him, there is none beside him. He is Jesus and he is king and he cannot be stopped and he cannot be topped because he is Jesus and he is king. And guess what? He's alive. He's alive. You know, I've said often in recent weeks as we studied through the book of Mark together, we're kind of about a third of the way through the book that the whole Bible points to Jesus. It really does. The whole Old Testament points forward to him. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John reveal him, and the rest of the New Testament declare to us the promises and the hope that we can have and the new identity that we have because of him. He's the linchpin to the whole Bible the hinge piece to everything that God has ever done. Colossians says everything was created by him and for him and through him. I can't wait for the day when he comes back to get us, whether it's through death or whether it's him on his white horse we get to be in the heavenlies with all the saints that have gone before us and all the angels are shouting holy and we're in a place so busy and so full they're bringing in extra chairs and the crowd goes silent and the king of glory walks out We won't know whether to shout or whether to hit our face, but you're going to do something. You won't be able to help yourself. And we're going to worship the King of glory for all time together. You're suffering this morning, not for long, because the King of glory is going to appear. You have a broken heart this morning. and is and will always be first and the centerpiece of everything God has ever done. He's the centerpiece of the story of God and I long that he be the centerpiece of your life and your story. This whole love story of God that was given to us that we call the Bible, Jesus marks every moment and every page and every promise of God. In Genesis, Jesus is the breath of life. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. 
In Leviticus, he is our great high priest. In Numbers, he is our fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is Israel's guide. In Joshua, he is the commander of the Lord's army. In Judges, he is Israel's guard. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, he is sovereign. In Ezra, he is the true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of walls and lives. In Esther, he is our courage. In Job, he is the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he is our morning song. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is the time and he is the season. In the Song of Solomon, he is the lover of our soul. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace, the everlasting father, and the mighty God. In Jeremiah, he is the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, he is the cry for Israel. In Ezekiel, he is the call from sin. In Daniel, he is the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he is the forever faithful one. Woo! I wonder if you know him today. In Joel, he is the Spirit's power. In Amos, he is the strong arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he is the Lord, our Savior. In Jonah, he is the great missionary. In Micah, he is the promise of peace for you. In Nahum, he is our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he brings revival. In Haggai, he restores that which was lost. In Zechariah, he is our fountain. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness rising with healing in his hands. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is your God, your savior, your redeemer, and your friend. In Acts, he is the spirit's fire that ignites his church. In Romans, he is the grace of God. In 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he is the power of love. In Galatians, he is freedom from the curse of sin. In Ephesians, he is our glorious treasure. In Philippians, he is the servant's heart. In Colossians, he is the living, breathing image of the invisible God. In 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, he is our calling king. In 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, he is our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, he is the great high priest. In James, he is the healer of the sick and the wisdom in our uncertainty. In 1 and 2 Peter, he is our faithful shepherd. In 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude, he is the lover coming for his bride. And in Revelation, when time is no more, he was and he is and he will always be the king of kings the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the Great I Am. He's Jesus, and he's alive. We can't do this without you. Nothing else and no one else can meet our needs. Nothing else and no one else can set us free. No no one else can heal our weariness and our sickness. No one else can give us the hope we need to cling to you. No one else keeps their promises. No one else can satisfy. No one else can save. 
No one else can lead. No one else is wise like you. Lord, we need you. We need to be transformed by you. Lord, I pray that the spirit of the living God that dwells richly within every believer in this room, Lord, that you would come alive, declaring the truth of the gospel in them today and remind them of the hope they have in you. And I pray that those who do not yet know Jesus, that the spirit of the living God would wrap his arms around them and breathe the breath of life into their ears, that they would hear the voice of God that transformed them they would find the hope and the peace and the mercy they've been looking for in you. Because you are the only one who is hope and grace and peace and mercy and help and comfort and wisdom and everything we'll ever need. You are the sufficient supply of all of it. Lord, have your way in us this morning. This service we've gathered to worship you all throughout the heartland. There are churches gathered to worship you. I pray that the Spirit of God would do something so extraordinary in our little community lives would be changed, that hope would be restored, that Jesus would take the center stage this morning in every church and the spotlights would be turned on him, that no man or woman would be praised or celebrated for the work that only God can do. This is about you. We are here to worship you. We are here to lift up our voices to you. We are here to learn about you. We are here to hear from you, God. And if if all these folks do is hear from me over the next 20 or 30 minutes, we will have wasted our time. So God, would you speak? Would you say something? Lord, we trust in you. I commit these folks to you for they are yours. I am your servant. This is your word. Have your way in us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, I believe we done had the little church up in here. Woo, woo. Hey, good morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday. It is always good. We, you know what? Believe it or not, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every weekend here at Grace Bible Church because we believe that because of the resurrection of Jesus, it informs all the stuff of our lives. It's not just an event that happens so that one day we can have the hope of heaven for those that believe, but we believe the resurrection of Jesus too was enough to give us everything we need in the everyday stuff of our ordinary lives. And the work of discipleship that we do here at GBC is just learning how to submit to the work of Jesus in the everyday stuff of our ordinary lives. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 24, today as we just take a close look at a moment in uh, actually right after the death of Jesus, right before the resurrection, where we get to learn a little bit about what was going on in the mind of some of the people in Jesus's life. Uh, I can imagine, and I'm not sure if you've ever taken the time to imagine what it must have been like on that particular morning. It was dark. It was early Sunday morning. The sun had not come up yet. Kind of like when I was driving up here from Lake Placid this morning, the fog was terrible, it was dark, but the moon was so bright, like the whole earth was glowing. It was just an incredible sight, and it got me thinking about what it must have been like in the garden, in the darkness of that night, right before the sun come up. I could imagine that all of heaven was clamoring, knowing that this was the day that Jesus said that he was going to rise from the dead. They had checked their calendars, one day, two days, three days had passed, this was the one that Jesus was gonna rise again, so all of heaven pulled up a seat and was watching in in the stillness of the garden, waiting for the moment for the promise of God to be realized, for death to be defeated, for Satan to be defeated. But that wasn't the only ones that were watching in, anticipating the resurrection of Jesus. I can guarantee you all the powers of evil were watching in too. 
but they weren't watching from a distance. I can just about bet you that Satan himself and every demon he could rally up gathered together in the cool garden that morning to stand there outside of that tomb. They were gonna have a front row seat as they stood there in the darkness of night wondering and waiting. Could it be that Jesus really would rise again from the grave? I bet you they didn't just passively look at the tomb to wait and see what was gonna happen. I'm gonna take a wild stab that Satan himself laid hands on that stone and pressed it up against that rock as hard as he could. He wasn't gonna let Jesus out. And as all of heaven and all of evil gathered together and took their places and all the clamoring and the chaos and the spiritual world of this moment, could it be that Jesus would rise again with all the noise in the spirit world happening Inside the tomb, it was silent, dead silent. And then the silence of death was disturbed by the sound of breath. Jesus was alive. The king had risen, death had been defeated, hope had been restored, victory had been secured. And I guarantee you that as that stone began to tremble, so did Satan. Because in that moment, death itself was given a death sentence, and so was Satan and all the powers of evil. There would come a day that they would be no more, because Jesus had conquered them. This is why we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, death, oh, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? They lost it that day. And that's hope for you, by the way, that this thing called life, you're just a sojourner passing through if you trust in Jesus as Lord. Paul wasn't kidding, the apostle Paul, when he said to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because in Christ, if you're Life is rooted in Christ Jesus. The best is always still yet to come. Ten billion years from now, the best will still be yet to come for those who are in Christ Jesus. But of all, the, all of those in the spirit world that had kind of gathered to watch the resurrection of Jesus, wondering, waiting, listening to see if it really was going to happen, guess who didn't show up at the tomb that morning? You know, 21 different times are recorded in the Gospels where Jesus told his family, his friends, his disciples, his followers, hey, uh, one of these days I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. They're going to crucify me on the cross, but three days later I'm going to rise again. 21 different times they recorded it. I'm sure he probably said it 5,000 times to them. But guess who, with all of heaven watching in and all of evil watching in at the tomb that morning, guess who didn't show up? Jesus' mama Mary, she wasn't there. The apostles who had walked with Jesus, who had heard him say on repeat, I'm going to die, but I'll rise again. They're going to destroy the temple, but I'll rebuild it in three days. Not one disciple of Jesus Christ was standing out front in the temple that morning saying, 10, 9, 8, 7, cue the sun, 6, 5. You know why? You know why nobody showed up? You know why Mother Mary didn't show up? You know why none of the disciples showed up that morning? Because they didn't believe. He said he'd be back on the third day. 
No one was there because no one believed. I wonder if any of you are following that category this morning. You feel a little skeptical. I mean, you can get behind Jesus being a great guy and a great teacher. and You can even get behind the fact that he went to the cross to die on the cross for our sins. But, I mean, resurrection, come on. I mean, you got to draw the line somewhere, right? You know what I'm saying? Oh, and by the way, I'm not just talking to my creasters in the house. You know what I'm saying? Christmas and Easter people, my creasters, you know. I'm talking to y'all regular on every Sunday church going folk to keep one of these chairs hot every weekend. I bet there's some of you, I know there's many people this weekend that don't get as excited about the resurrection of Jesus like some of you do because quite honestly, they've still got some questions. They're not quite convinced yet that Jesus is alive. Hey, I want you to know if you fall into that category this morning, you're in really good company. When Jesus' own mama and his own disciples didn't believe that he would rise again. That's why they weren't there. As a matter of fact, they even took it a step further. Check this out. That's why I told you to turn to Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, that would have been early Sunday morning. On the first day of the week at early dawn, say early dawn, they went to the tomb. Now, who's they? You would have had to read the chapter before and knew who they was. They were a group of ladies that had helped care for the body of Jesus once they took it off the cross. They went to the tomb because they wanted to go care for the body some more. So they went to the tomb, and while they were going, they were taking the spices that they had prepared. Why do you take spices into a graveyard? Not because you're going to have an Easter morning breakfast on the Blackstone. They took spices to a tomb because their plan was to see if they could find a group of guys to roll the stone away so that they could go in and they could anoint Jesus' body with the spices to repel the stench of death. Why? Because they believed he was going to be dead. And they wanted to make his death as comfortable as possible for everybody else around them. That's how convinced they were he was going to be dead. They brought spices. Not only that, when they showed up to anoint him with spices, they noticed, lo and behold, surprise, surprise, the stone had already been rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, and they were perplexed. Why are you perplexed when you walk into an empty tomb? Because you thought a dead guy was going to be in there, and he wasn't. And behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Who are the two men standing by them in dazzling apparel? They were probably angels of some kind, sure. And these ladies, they were so frightened that they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men, the angels said to them, really good question, by the way. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, for he has risen. Remember how he told you over and over and over again while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man was going to be delivered into the hands of men, be crucified on the cross, and on the third day he would rise again. And then they remembered what he had said. And returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and all the rest. Who's the eleven? Yeah, the eleven disciples. Why isn't it twelve? It, used to, it was twelve disciples, right? Why is it the eleven disciples now? Judah's really done it this time. He's out. Only 11 now. They went and told the 11 and to all the rest, and it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and some other women that were with them when they went and found the apostles, the apostles who, by the way, were hiding behind locked doors because they were afraid they were going to be next on the cross. 
They found these apostles, they went in, they told them the words of everything that they had seen and experienced. It says, but these words to the apostles seemed to them like an idle tale, a lie, a story. There's no way that this could be possible that Jesus rose from the dead. And they did, what's that word? Not believe. You getting the picture now? You're in good company this morning if you're a skeptic, if you're uncertain about the resurrection of Jesus. And I wonder, like, are, are you amongst the crew that's having a hard time believing that? You came in this morning, you're a little perplexed. You just ain't so sure about how this could be possible. Or maybe, maybe you're one of the ones that came in and it, to you it's just an idle tale. Like, there is no way. That's crazy. That's just some of that Christian folklore that's just kind of evolved over time. And they get to telling their stories and embellishing them. And, like, this, this just came about later in the story. Or maybe you're somebody, like, you're, you're not in one of those two categories. You're just kind of in the indifferent group. You just showed up with spices. You know what I'm saying? You put on your Sunday best, you paint it on your smiling face because it's Easter for crying out loud. You know what I'm saying? You just showed up to do the thing that you're supposed to do in a time like this, just like those ladies with their spices in the graveyard. It's just what we do. You don't mean nothing by it. You, like them, you just don't believe, you know? I wonder how many of us fall in that category this morning because I know there are many. And it ain't just the creasters. I know that there's plenty of y'all that sit up in here every week. Same thing. But the angel asked the unbelieving heart a really powerful question. Hey, uh, why do you keep looking for living things among dead things? Don't mind if I do. Whoever said that. The angel asks a really compelling question to the unbelieving heart. Why do you keep looking for living things among dead things? Why do you seek the living among the dead? You know, I wonder, uh, was there some time in your life at some point in your story that there was somewhere you thought Jesus was supposed to be? Those of you that kind of fall into those categories, somewhere you thought Jesus was supposed to be, so you went there to meet with him only to find that he wasn't there. And now the whole Christian faith thing is kind of suspect to you. You know what I'm talking about. Like somebody convinced you that, oh, you got a problem? He'll fix it. Oh, you got a disease? He'll heal it. Oh, you got something broken? He can handle it. But the problem is he didn't, did he? Not even close. It's as almost as if he didn't hear your prayers as you were begging him to step into your story to fix that situation. L let me tell you the words of encouragement, the exact words of encouragement that the angels of heaven said to the ladies that found themselves in that situation. He is not here. He has risen. Now, don't mistake what he was saying or what I'm saying to you, like, Oh, Jesus is still here. He's still in the miracle working business. He still does amazing stuff all the time. How many of y'all believe Jesus is still in the miracle working business today, huh? Oh, yeah, all the time. He's still in the miracle working business. He's here. He can still fix broken things. He can still, still, with, still, still deal with messed up stuff. But here's what I'm talking about. What if, what if every hardship, every hard thing, every loss, Every heartbreak, every season of suffering in your life, like what if 
those things weren't the absence of the presence of Jesus in your life, but they were actually evidence of the presence of Jesus in your life. What if? I know this sounds crazy. I mean, last time I checked, the people God loves the most, he hands them a cross. What if all of the hardship, all of the waiting, all of the wanting, all of the suffering, what if that wasn't evidence of the absence of Jesus in your life, that was actually the presence of Jesus in your life? What if he loves you so much and at the same time knows you so well that he knew that the only way for you to ever understand the depth and the height and the breadth of his love for you, the only way you would ever understand is that you are gonna have to keep walking into empty tombs only to find out that what you were looking for wasn't there anymore. I wanna make sure you don't miss this. Maybe he loves you so much and knows you so well that he has allowed you to continue to walk into empty tombs of your life looking for a thing, looking for hope and peace and joy and satisfaction and money and whatever. Like He's allowed you to continue to walk into empty tombs in your life just so that you would realize that what you were looking for is not there anymore. It, it can't bring the life you're looking for. It can't bring the peace that you're looking for. I mean, how many of y'all showed up here this morning like you have been going through a season of your life of just walking into one empty tomb after the next thinking, but I thought Jesus was supposed to be here. And now you're mad at him because he didn't show up where you had told him he was supposed to show up. And he lets you keep walking in these empty tombs so that you'll realize that You can't find peace in those places because peace is not in a place, it is in a person and his name is Jesus and he is alive. Maybe you keep walking into those same empty tombs and you've gone to every empty tomb in town that you can find looking for hope but the resurrection reminds us that you can't find hope in a place because hope is never there. It's only in a person, and his name is Jesus, and Jesus is alive. You've been going to every empty tomb that you can find to try to find rest for your soul, and the reality of it is is like you just keep depleting and depleting and depleting because rest cannot be found there. Rest is not a place. Rest is a person, and his name is Jesus, and he is alive. You get the idea? I'm about to tell y'all something that's totally crazy and you're gonna hate that I'm telling you this. Y'all sure you ready? I know this sounds really messed up. But may the Spirit give you ears to hear. I know this sounds really messed up, but listen. It is the love of God in your life to make sure that all of your lesser little G gods never fail to fail you. I took that line from somebody smarter than me, but that's good, ain't it? It is the love of God to make sure that all of your little G gods never fail to fail you. 
Pastor Cam puts it like this. It's the love of God to knock out every prop that we lean ourselves up against that is not Jesus Christ himself. It's the love of God to allow every one of those props to deteriorate from under us. That's the love of God. It's the love of God to continue to allow what seems to be this never-ending repetition of our circumstances of our life be getting more and more unstable so that we would notice the one that is stable. It's the love of God. Oh God, why do you let such bad things happen in the world around us? That's so messed up. Why wouldn't you step in and save the day? It's the love of God to allow darkness to continue to slip into deeper darkness so that we might take notice of the one light that's in the room. You catching the picture? As the angel said, why do you keep looking for life among dead things? You won't find it here because life is in Jesus. Jesus is life and he is alive. Guys, listen to me. Like this, this, is, this is why we call the gospel good news. Say good news. The love story of God was not an invitation for us to figure out how to correct all of our behavior so that we met God's holy standard. The love story of God looked down upon us, recognizing and knowing long before the foundations of the world that we would never be able to meet his holy standard. The holiness of God demanded a life that we can never live. So the love of God provided one. And he stepped out of, his store, out, of, out, of, out of the throne room of heaven to move into the neighborhood with us, to live a life that none of us could live, Jesus. To die a death that every one of us deserved, Jesus. To pay a price that none of us could afford to pay, Jesus. You get the idea? And then he says, whosoever would believe in me would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Uh, let me break that down for you. Whosoever believes in the words and work of Jesus, him as king and Lord, died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the grave, whosoever believes in him would be forgiven for all of their sins once and for all, for all time, and now from here all the way through eternity be able to stand before God completely justified and made right with God. Not every time you remember to ask for forgiveness, not every time you go sit in a confessional booth. No, Jesus did a complete work. There's a reason why when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. The work had been done. And now you are a part of the whosoever. So my question is, do you believe? I wish I got extra credit in heaven if you did, but I don't. Because I can't make you believe. There are no words persuasive enough in the human language to convince you to believe a story like that. It's going to take God himself, the Holy Spirit of God, to step into the stony soil of our hearts to whisper life and truth into our ears that our eyes might be open, that our hearts might be open to realize that Jesus truly is the king of all kings and he is the savior of the world and his grace is sufficient for even me and even you. Oh, what love.
Oh, what love. Listen, let's pray together, but I just want you to know that there's no magic prayer to pray to be made right with God. And you walking down the aisle to meet with me, that's cool, but that's not going to change your life either. This is a transaction between you and the Lord, just you and the Lord. And it has to happen in the spirit of who you are, in the deep places of you. Just a deep recognition and realization that Jesus is Lord, he is king, and you're not even close. And I wonder, is there anybody here this morning that's never trusted Jesus as Lord? This isn't a magical prayer, but let me just lead you in a prayer. Just in case you've never talked to God before. If you want to give your life to the Lord, accept the forgiveness of Jesus and surrender your life to him, pray with me. Jesus, I'm thankful for your sacrifice on the cross. And I believe in your resurrection from the dead. And God, I know that you are king and I am not. And Jesus, I thank you that your blood shed on that cross was enough to wash my sins away and make me right with God. Lord, I confess that you are Lord. And I surrender my heart and my life to you. And I'm not exactly sure what's next, so I'm going to just have to trust you with that part. I struggle with some things. I have this sin issue. I have this addiction problem. I have this broken relationship. I, I don't know how to fix all that. But one thing is true. I know that I'm yours, and I know that you can. And so, Lord... Take my life and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's how I'm going to put it. If you prayed that prayer in your life for the first time, would you reach out to us? Would you send me a message on Facebook? Would you call the church office? Would you send us an email? Would you grab one of our pastors who are right over here in the corner or myself or one of our staff or deacons that have a name badge on and saying, hey, I, I, I gave my life to the Lord today. I'd, I'd like to talk to somebody about what's next. Just so you know, that's a starting line, not the finish line. This is the beginning of a new life and a new relationship with him. And we want to encourage you through some pathways of discipleship to grow. Speaking of discipleship, there's our discipleship pastor. Let me turn it over to them. Hey, happy Easter, y'all. I love you guys.